All right, friends, welcome to the program. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. Now, I, I enjoy, kind of a hobby of mine, observing reality denialism. This is something that I think the mainstream media here in the country is particularly good at. And I give you yet another example of this, a piece today in the Washington Post uh, discussing the Bud Light issue. Bud Light, by the way, the sales of the iconic American beer continue to plummet. It's, well, I could say it's no bueno because Modelo now is the number one light beer in market. So, uh, you know, people have, have literally, since... The Dylan Mulvaney uh, campaign kicked off and the public opposition to it uh, broke out. Uh, The sales of Bud Light have just plummeted, and they've plummeted over 23-24%. Now, when I say reality denialism here, in particular, uh, this Washington Post piece, there's a a story that deals with the uh, flat sales of the beverage – now, listen, it's, it's not flat. I mean, it's, it's down significantly. And what they say here, they put out an article and a tweet. Bud Light has been targeted by a recent boycott, which maybe, you know, we have some idea of what that's all about. But consumers might be moving away from the brand anyway amid stagnation for domestic beer in general. This is astounding, and, and I, I submit this. It's, this story is less, of course, about Bud Light and that controversy because we all know the numbers, and I'll, you know, I, can, I can take you through that. But it is a, just an, an, another little vignette here how the media constructs narratives and then forces facts, even if they don't exactly fit, to support their view. So here what we have... Well, you want to see, I think the, the funny part is, is that, is that Miller Lite shot up. Miller and Coors both went up in the same time period, 13 and 17% respectively. That's not insignificant. Coors Light uh, went up. Uh, Bud Light went down. I mean, this is, um. Look, this is just, this is, Pabst, Pabst Blue Ribbon went up 13%. So this, um, this idea, right, Michelob went down a little bit, Bud Light also, excuse me, Budweiser also took a bit of a dip. And I think that's just because people see Bud Light, they associate Budweiser with it, and it's collateral damage. So they don't want to get into it. They don't want to acknowledge that this was a total boondoggle. And it ties into an article that I saw this morning on Breitbart that I want to share with you. Poll, support for Black Lives Matter movement lowest since 2020. Americans' uh, support of Black Lives Matter has reached its lowest point since 2020. This is a poll released yesterday. Pew Research Center survey found about 51% of U.S. adults support Black Lives Matter. It's a, a large 
relatively large, six-point drop from last year when 56% supported it. Now, I'll tell you what this is about. People are beginning to wake up. They are beginning to understand that all of this is a farce, that what they're pushing on us is garbage, that they want to change America's culture. They want to move us from a law and order society into a place where it's perfectly acceptable to break, to pillage, to burn our cities, our communities, to spit at police officers, to turn a beer brand that, you know, when you talk to people who are in the industry and understand this and do marketing, they'll tell you beer brand, Bud Light is a male beer. Men drink it. And the idea of putting a... Um, a gender-confused person in a bathtub in bubbles, dressed as a woman, drip, you know, drinking the beer. <laughs> I mean, the idea that that is going to fly is the product of a central planning organization. I mean this not that it's a concerted effort, but these are a relatively few people, usually located in coastal cities, who have an idea that they want to impose their view on us. And... For me, folks, I'll, I'll explain this you know, conservative thing to those that are new to it. We want, as conservatives, the exact opposite. We want to live the way we want to live. We want life protected. We want kids protected. If you're an adult, do whatever you want. Go have fun. Enjoy it. Just don't stick it in our faces. You've won your battles. You've, you've gone to court and forced prayer out of school. You don't want public crushes displayed, you know, nativity scenes. You don't want – we've, we've heard you, right, as conservatives. We have been existing now for decades with the left telling us what they do not want to see from us. And then the left turns around not happy with the fact that they've pushed – our stuff out of the public sphere and they're ro they've rolled their sleeves and they decided they're going to push their thing on us and what's what's occurring is that there's 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 a reaction and to give you an idea just how silly this uh, in 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 the uh, sphere of commerce this relates to the bud light deal in the sphere of commerce how absurd this of how would you describe this? The, the pushing of the left-wing equity uh, and diversity agenda is. There was a piece a couple days ago. This was uh, covered by the Wall Street Journal. Free Bacon covered it too. But basically, it turns out that, so, you know, the ESG ratings, you know, this is part of the CEI system. It, it, it's what it, ESG is, in, is, is a score that is given to companies based on how well, progressive they are. The, the ESG, it stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance Score. So you can imagine a social score, very important for companies. These are companies that you would presume are doing really good things. Now, the, the story that was out there was that Tesla got a very low score. Oh, Tesla, that was once the darling of the American left, this is before you know Musk dared question any left-wing liberal orthodoxies. But anyway, it was the darling of the left electric company, zero emissions, the, the, the future of uh, human survival on this planet. 
it, it was score out of 100 points. You ready for this? 37 points. That's a, that's a massively failing grade. If your kids came home from school with a 37 out of 100, uh, you would, well, you, you would take remedial measures. But here's where it gets crazy. Folks, this is where my mind, and, and, and it would, I mean, I knew this stuff is, is happening, but to give you an idea how rigged and how meaningless getting affirmations from the political left is, guess who got a score of 84, which is a, a solid B, a score of 84 out of 100, went to a little company called Philip Morris International. Now, what does Philip Morris make? Oh, I mean, cancer sticks? <laughs> Environmental, social, and governance score for Philip Morris, 84 out of 100. And they literally sell death. So I, 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 I just tell you, folks, it gets, you have to, the system has to reach a point of peak absurdity. And I don't, I don't know if we've jumped the shark yet or if we're getting there, but we are, at the very least, super close. Because it's starting to all blow up. It's all starting to look like a, a giant, it's a feast of nonsense. These people are sitting around awarding these scores to companies that sell, you know, literally kill people. And then, and then on the other hand, they're, handing out low scores to a company, and it's all purely based on the fact of political disapproval. None of it matters. And so the lesson, the lesson that every person in corporate America, every person in business, and I say this as a, as a business owner myself, everybody, we should just tell these, you know, C, you know CEI people and, and ESG people to suck it. We don't care about your score. We're not going to build our business or conduct ourselves in a way that looks to get your approval. We're going to do business in a way that, that satisfies the needs of our consumers, our customers. The customer is king, not the American political left. And when we begin doing that, when that starts to happen, and believe me, I think I think Tesla, uh, Elon Musk. I don't see, you know if you made it. He was laughing about it, of course, making making jokes on social media about it. But you know, the the point is, is you know, it, he should wear it as a badge of of courage, of of honor. <laughs> the more that the human rights campaign pushes back against your company, the uh, the more you know that you're probably doing the right thing. They're a George Soros-sponsored group, and of course, their agenda is not your success, your commercial viability, but rather their own political agenda. And we as conservatives, as common-sense Americans, need to say enough is enough and go, go where, you know, go where, you know, you know where to go and how to get there, basically. All right, taking a quick break. Lots to cover today. I, yeah, I saw a piece in... I'll get to this in a minute. I saw a piece from the New York uh, Post telling us that there's a, tr there's a Trump trap that the Democrats have laid for us. I can explain to you what this is all about. Uh, yeah, well, well, we, a lot to cover. And I'll get to stuff on the Hill as well because big stuff. Republicans making moves uh, both on Biden and on legislative front, so I want to get to that. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. 
brought to you by Salmon Ash Injury Law. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the What's Right Show. This hour brought to you by Sam and Ash, Injury Law, 702-820-1234. Tell your friends, tell your family. One reasonable and common sense uh, personal injury firm here in Las Vegas that uh, the kind of kind of lawyers you can take home to mom, if you know what I mean. So 702-820-1234. By the way, I am the Sam of Sam and Ash Injury Law. My partner, Ash, we had her here yesterday in studio. It was nice to uh, talk to her. So we'll do that. We'll try to do that every Wednesday. Call it Ash Wednesday. Bring her in and, and chat with her a little bit. She is a great human being and a tremendous lawyer. Um, I had a listener here uh, t- uh, write me during the uh, break, um, and and I'm and you're, you're absolutely right in this email. Guess what? Modelo Bush and 61 other beers are owned by InBev, of Holland. Uh, I, th- I think they're a Belgian company, actually. I need to look at that. Yeah, but it, this, is, uh, this is a great point because <laughs> I remember when I first was talking about this whole thing, I had a rep for Stella send me uh, some beer here to the studio. And, of course, I think Stella's um, also an Anheuser-Busch and Bev company. And um, and 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 it you know it's it's fact it's, a, it's the same company that owns Bud Light that's being boycotted is also receiving the benefit of customers going to its other brands. They're buying Stella. They're buying Medela. Medela, of course, being the big uh, beer that's in the news. So so InBev is in theory not the the corporate entity Anheuser Busch InBev are not being necessarily hurt by this boycott. But my point and my response uh, to the listener that uh, sent me this email, I did not get your uh, name here, so I can't give you credit. But my, my, my reaction here and my email back is a consumer reaction still, it, it tells an important story. And it is a signal to corporate America that we're done, that we're, we're, we're sick of this. And, and I'll tell you, I promise you, I promise you, it has less to do with the fact of dollars moving away from one brand and, and going over to others as it does with the tremendous damage, maybe irreparable harm that the standalone individual brand Bud Light has suffered in all of this. I mean, I, I know I went to the, been, I've been to a few hockey games as we may or may not have discussed here this week. Been to a few hockey games. You go to T-Mobile Arena's Bud Light Lounge right there in the, the main concourse um and they're selling but like and i i've i've asked a guy last game i was you know hey you know it's a little bit of a drop up absolutely now are they buying other anheuser-busch products absolutely true but it is uh i'll tell you that still doesn't change the fact that they've taken notice of it very very important here's who else takes notice of this because during uh, last last segment, I was mentioning these ESG scores and CEI scores and how, you know, this is all stuff that really uh, shouldn't matter to to business owners and to corporate entities. And uh, the, the, there is producer Robbie made an important point. 
to me as we were chatting here during the break. He says it's not the corporations themselves. It's the investors. It's the Black Rocks of the vanguards, the state streets, the you know VC companies that are coming in and funding these uh, these corporate entities. For example, uh, you know Target, right, is is a company that's owned by these investment uh, firms. These um, uh, you know these 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 activist investors. Vanguard is is one of the big owners of Target. So this is uh, this, and they are they care about these numbers now. Will they care a little less about these numbers if these numbers tend to compel corporate entities to become controversial? Maybe, right? And I think that's the point of all of this, and that's why this isn't irrelevant or why this isn't a, um, what I might say, like a futile effort, right? It's not, it's not, it's, it's, a, it's worthwhile, and the consequences, I think, of this will, will be in time, will be, will be positive. Um, I'm keeping my eye right now, and I don't know, we have a Supreme Court update. I, I need to look at, the, at this, but the Supreme Court right now is uh, – they're, they're, they're out to decide 23 cases uh, in the second half of this month. There's quite a few out there. Now, I'll, I'll point out that the Students for Fair Admission uh, – uh, there's two cases. This is uh, related to – uh, discrimination based on race in college admissions. We have another name for that. Affirmative action, which is a tremendous euphemism that we've all got used to using. It is racial discrimination. So this is University of North Carolina, Harvard. Uh, though They were argued back in October of 22. Just to give you a little idea, it takes the court a while to come to a decision, write the uh, final final decisions on this. So th- th- that case, those cases are uh, may be announced any any day now. Uh, there's there's some others too. So I, I'm following this, and as cases come out I'll, uh, that are important, I'll, I'll comment about them. Now the House, the House of Representatives passed legislation to rein in the administrative state. So this is the regulations from the Executive in Need of Scrutiny or Reins Act. Was rep, uh, introduced by Representative Kat uh, Kamek uh, from Florida. The House voted 221 to 10, and it, it has no chance, as presently constituted, to become law because it severely curtails the power of the executive branch to issue administrative rulings to decide without the input of Congress important things that they're called major rules basically anything that would cause an annual economic effect of over 100 million major increase in consumer prices adverse effects on competition etc and the reason i say it has no chance of succeeding is uh even though this has some bipartisan support uh biden's going to veto it and there's there's just not enough people in the senate to override his veto so that that's that's going to be the rub here. But the point is, the Republicans are working, and they've 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 put a stake in the ground, and they've claimed the high ground on this. They're intent on reigning in the administrative state. So I, I, the, the reactions to this, by the way, I, I need to share this. Uh, quite funny, and actually makes the point. Uh, reactions on the left makes the point for why this is necessary. Sam Marjofsky, be back in a moment. You're listening to the What's Right Show.
Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. All right, friends, Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Your place for common sense conservatism, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. here on the station. So the Republicans in Congress, more or less along party lines, passed the Reins Act, explaining how this is uh, really designed to curtail federal power abuses, uh, gives uh, more oversight power to the the Congress to prevent – Say, for example, the Biden administration to force everyone to mask up on airplanes and elsewhere, even though um, they just decided that on their own, listening to a few of their experts and did not, did not ask Congress for their opinion. We all know how that turned out. Big boondoggle. By the way, it was precisely that question of masking that came up in the debate about this. So yesterday, as this is being uh, this act was debated on the floor of the House of Representatives. Uh, Jerry Nadler. Nadler is a, uh, a longtime New York congressman. He's an insufferable little man. Uh, he almost, by the way, don't be fooled. This is Jerry Nadler. It's not uh, Dr. Fauci. It kind of sounds like him. They have the same, a similar accent and are equally insufferable. Uh, this is his uh, point here about why the a Reigns Act should not have been passed. Listen to this gem. It protects against transmission of the disease to the next person. And the healthcare worker certainly ought to be required to be vaccinated. And when we have a pandemic, like COVID-19 pandemic that we had, two-year-olds should have been required to wear masks. It would be child abuse for parents not to do that because ah. there was no vaccination available for two-year-olds. Ah. Ah. You know, it, the vaccine mandates and mandatory masks were great because those mandates protected against the transmission of the disease to the next person. Really? Again, it's reality denialism with these people. They do not live uh, in, 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 in an, <laughs> they don't live in reality. They they were the, the, right, the, exactly. The, the, the science, the trust the science crowd, when the science comes out and contradicts their agenda, they ignore the science whole cloth. He goes on to say, and, and, and we had two years, they, they should be required to wear masks. It would be child abuse for parents not to do that because there was no vaccination available for two-year-olds. Oh, eh. Now, this is, of course, from a Democrat based in New York City. Democrats in California are deciding that, that child abuse includes parents not acknowledging their four-year-old's personal choice of pronouns. So, you know, when it comes to child abuse, I really need the Democrats to, to, to take a seat right now. Now, here's where it got good. Chip Roy, Republican Texas, responded to Nadler. And this, my friends, is absolutely a masterpiece. Well, I'm tempted to yield all my time to the gentleman from New York because he's basically making the case for me more effectively than I can. 
I want everybody in America to understand what they just heard from the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee in the United States House of Representatives. Your two-year-old should be forced to be masked. That is what the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee just said here on the floor of the House of Representatives, that the power of the government, the full power of the federal government, should be a part of ensuring and forcing your children, your two-year-old child, to be masked. Now, there's an important constitutional question here because, of course, you know, in this context, it is, and we know this, it was absurd for the federal government to, to make this mandate. And it was terribly invasive, and it affected many of us, those of us who traveled during this time period, who went into federal buildings. I mean, this was, we, we, were, we were all affected by this. So it raises an important question. Uh, you know, question of the Constitution, because over time, I can tell you this, that our, our law has evolved to grant more and more power in the presidency. And the reason, folks, the reason that's, that's happened, it's been, a, it's, it's called a creep. It just kind of slowly happens. You know, the, it, it, the you know, the, the federal, the, the executive branch, right? The president, the president, and it happens both Republicans and Democrats over the years will do a little bit more and not get challenged. Do a little bit more and not get challenged. And when you study the Constitution, you realize that the a presidential power is, of course, at its peak when it is aligned, fully aligned with the desires of Congress. And what happens is, is in periods of crisis, let's say 9-11, right? War. Uh, COVID, right? What happens? Those of those of you who, like me, have lived a few years on this planet, you 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 know in this country, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We get into a war, we get into a crisis, we get into some problem, we fear for our safety, and we say, just like we did with the uh, invasion of Iraq, who you know we had what was one Democrat said no to it. I mean, it just everybody got behind. It was we're going to do a we're going to have a we're going to have a federal group of security guards at airports. Yeah, that's turned into a joyful debacle. But again, it it increased the power of of the federal government. And when we talk about the federal government, it's almost exclusively in the power and in the full control of the president. And there's these little there's little moments where just that power keeps increasing and increasing and increasing. And the only way to claw it back is for Congress to say, no, you do not have this power. No, our oversight is required here. And then the tricky part is, really think about it, what president, Republican or Democrat, wants to lose power? I'm going to give you a, a, a – uh, well, the answer is none, they, none of them do. Right? You become president, you, you have an agenda, you have things you want to do. You're not about to give up power. It's going to take a very remarkable president, somebody, and I don't even know who this would be, right? who's going to come along and say, no, this really needs to be corrected. And the balance uh, of power uh, between the branches of government needs, needs to be uh, recalibrated. Because here's what's going to happen with this Reigns Act, even if, even if, let's say, they got a Democrat or two to, to support it in the Senate and it went to, it went to Biden's desk, Biden's not going to give up any power. He's not going to give up the power to stuff a, 
you know, face, face diaper on your two-year-old. He's not going to give up the power to make sweeping changes to the way the country is run without consulting Congress. I mean, he's done a lot with executive order. Obama did a lot through executive order. They're not going to give this up. And Republicans honestly do the same thing. So Biden's going to get to Biden's desk. Biden's going to veto it, and then it'll take two-thirds of the Senate to override that veto. And it, it'll, it'll take a very specific set of circumstances for that, for that to occur. An act like this, legislation like this, needs to continue to, to be attempted at passage and being enacted because into law because it's important that the balance of power be realigned. Now, I will say before it's realigned, we ought to take some of this power that the Democrats have been wielding to remake the country and and make some make some changes ourselves. Right? And that's that's part of what I keep saying is whoever the next Republican president is, they need to, you know, I'm telling you, they need to absolutely Go out there, and uh, they're going to have to make some 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 radical changes and some discipline changes, and have have that day one agenda, first day in office, first week, first month objective, kind of like when I described our own Bill Foley here in Las Vegas, owner of the Golden Knights. You know what did he say? You have playoffs in three, and and uh, and cup in six. You have to have goals. You have to have a timeline. You have to have objectives that that get done by a certain time, or it just doesn't happen. And that's all going to have to have to occur. And uh, maybe maybe after they get it all done, then they can then they can say, all right, now we're gonna we're gonna trim <laughs> trim the power of the presidency before we leave office. I mean, that would be the appropriate thing to do. So I just want to explain a little bit about what this is all about and why specifically. It's not because it's a Republican act, but why specifically Biden. And pretty much any president, particularly one of an opposing party, is going to say no to this. No one wants to give up the power that they have, particularly not uh, when they've got a, a hostile Congress. Now, speaking of a hostile Congress, I mean, the investigations into the Biden crime family syndicate continue. There's been some revelations I want to bring you up to speed on that when we return and I, I will get into you know, get into the Trump updates. I, I, I don't, it's, it's, there's an interesting take on the right here about, about Trump that we're falling into the Democrats' well-laid trap to talk about him. Stop talking about Trump is the admonition of some in the Republican Party. I have an answer to that. I'll get to that here as we progress through the show. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky, uh, yep, uh, I'm here on the radio <laughs> Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. I'll be back in a moment. Yeah, I'm fascinated, friends, by the stories that continue to attack Judge Eileen Cannon in the Southern District of Florida. Sam Rajovsky, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian, your host of the What's Right Show here in studio and reporting for duty. We are, as always, live and local, coming to you from beautiful downtown Las Vegas. It is, I don't know, people complain. I give the weather report. I'm just excited about it. It's warm. It's nice. A little muggy today. And for the first, not that you need to know, but the first day, uh, half of my day here, we had a little air conditioning problem in the in the building. So it got to be about, ooh, 87 degrees in here 
And the thing finally came on 15 minutes before airtime. So, uh, yeah, they, they flipped the switch at 1245, whatever, somewhere, plus minus. And um, we're gradually cooling here. And I can tell you I, I like that. I like it warm outside, but I need to have a little lower temperature indoors, particularly when I'm getting all steamed up about some of the stuff happening in the news. So this uh, story, multiple stories, and I would say actually a developing narrative about Eileen Cannon is uh, it's, there's two prongs to it. And it's being perpetuated, of course, by all the usual suspects in the mainstream media who are beside themselves that this judge that dared to intervene on behalf of Trump, well, she didn't intervene on behalf of him, she was asked to rule on an important matter. Should material seized at Mar-a-Lago in the infamous raid that had, we know, had material that was likely covered by attorney-client privilege, should that material be sifted through by a court-appointed independent examiner, a special master is what they're called, to sort out potentially protected material. Because that can't, that's not admissible. It's not admissible. Yes, I know there's a crime fraud exception, but that's the point of the special master and the court to determine if the exception to attorney-client privilege would apply to whatever the various uh, communications, letters, emails, etc., text messages uh, included, right? Okay, so the, 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 the one problem is that she's, you know, she's biased because she dared to rule in Trump's favor. She appointed a special master. It got appealed, and the 11th Circuit shot it down. And by the way, most people, including Alan Dershowitz, will tell you that the 11th Circuit decision was, was flawed. But, of course, everyone in the mainstream media will say, well, this is, this is he was, she was repudiated. It was shot down. It was because of her bias. And that, by the way, right there, is the biggest fallacy. Because that's not what the 11th Circuit decision said. By the way, she was reversed. Side note, two of the three appellate judges were also Trump appointees, okay? The reason found was not biased, okay? It was not biased in that decision, okay? They, they didn't say it was because of bias, and they would have, I mean, if they, if they felt it was that extreme. I'm talking about the appellate court that struck it down. So they, they talk about her bias in the news, but the other part that now popped up, and I wanted to mention this because the New York Times did a whole piece on this today, how... The judge in the Trump documents case has very little, they said scant, means very little, criminal trial experience. Judge Cannon, 42, holy smokes, just my age. I, am I allowed to say that that's young? I mean, that's young. Judge Cannon has been on the bench since November 2020, uh, which is when Mr. Trump gave her a lifetime appointment shortly after he lost re-election. Oh, yeah, that's, see, and every sentence, the mainstream media look to find ways to knock this lady down. She had not previously served as any kind of judge. And because about 98% of federal criminal cases are resolved with plea deals, she has only a, had a limited opportunity to learn how to preside over a trial. Can I point something out here? Just 
a humorous aside. Will you permit me? I'm, I just want to point out something. If there was a crazy liberal jurist who was making wildly terrible, horrible rulings, and someone like me came along, you know, conservative white privileged guy, came along and suddenly began to criticize said liberal woman who was 42 for being inexperienced, for not having not not having handled enough trials, right telling you, for example, that you know, she's only had a limited opportunity to learn how to preside over a trial, which is super condescending for the New York Times to write. This isn't an opinion piece. This is a column. You know what the response would be for the left if I said those things about a judge? Well, it would be bigoted. It would be uh, – It would. I would be um, – of course, I would be demeaning her because she's a woman. It would be male chauvinism. Notice how they're allowed they, – the left is allowed to call, uh, uh, for example, Justice Thomas racial epithets. They're, they're, they are allowed to call him an Uncle Tom and worse, okay? That's acceptable. The left gets a pass on that. I, I'm, I'm reading this piece, and it, it is, it's so condescending. So what do I make of it? Because you, many of you have emailed me, and you're asking me, you know, what, what are the chances that she stays on? So let's go through this because I, wanna, I want you to know what the rules are. She can recuse herself. And I think that all of this stuff you're seeing in the, in the media is a pressure campaign to get her to do that. You're going to ask me, well, does that work? Sure, it works. I give you Jeff Sessions as example numero uno. Jeff Sessions, who folded like a cheap suit the minute people goes, you're too close to this. This is, You need to recuse yourself. Yes, 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 I do. I recuse myself. I'm out of this. And next thing you know, we had a special counsel and pretty much the, the beginning of the end of the Donald Trump presidency. So, yes, public pressure can have an effect. Now, if she doesn't recuse herself, the prosecutor here, Jack Smith, could ask for her to recuse herself. And then it's her decision whether to recuse herself or not. And then um, if she says no... The prosecutor, Jack Smith, could go to the appeals court and ask the appeals court to order her to recuse herself. This, folks, is very, very, very rare. It hardly ever happens. Um, So, again, they would – to get her removed, by the way, to get her removed, they would would have to say that there is – prove that there's bias – and bias is a it has a technical legal component, right? Where it's it's favor that is given based on on factors outside of the merits of the case. And her decision, by the way, in that special master, I mean, again, it's supported by people even who are critical of the president, the former president Donald Trump. So I, it's it's I mean, they're they're legal. I'll put it to you this way: constitutional law, criminal law scholars uh, at the very least say it's a wobbler okay it's 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 the mainstream media out there that are that are barking about this all right uh, you remember 
And we really only have, I, I got to get to this when we come back. You remember, by the way, that Maddow, I played Rachel Maddow. Her whole thing on this, by the way, is that Trump really should just plea out and promise to drop out of the race. And, you know, when I first told you this, I thought, well, this might just be kind of a, a fluke that she said this. But it turns out, friends, that it might not be that big of a fluke, and I'll explain. I'll give you all of this when we come back. Sam Marjofsky, you're listening to The What's Right Show. Be back in a moment. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Greetings, friends. You're listening to me, Sam Rajofsky, your host of The What's Right Show, your place for common sense conservatism. Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m., we broadcast live from beautiful downtown Las Vegas. So wherever you are listening to this program, know that, well, we're, we're over here in Vegas having a pretty gosh darn great time. The parade to celebrate our Stanley Cup champions is happening Saturday. That's going to be 7 o'clock. It's going to uh, it's going to be on the strip, and then it'll finish, kind of conclude at, at in Toshiba Plaza uh, there just uh, by the T-Mobile Arena where it all went down Tuesday night. I, I, I will be there. I will be milling around. I'm not missing this for anything in the world. So the uh, whole family, we're coming down to the strip, and we're going to uh, share in this moment. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, well, I don't know where to begin. But, uh, yes, we've had a little event here this week in Las Vegas. Golden Knights are the Stanley Cup champions 2023, and we are gosh dang proud of them. All right. Now, just as it is with the left that they want to find ways to uh, tarnish the judge— presiding over, well, that's been assigned to preside over President Trump's uh, criminal case in Miami. Judge Eileen Cannon explained uh, several ways that they are looking to perhaps assert a little bit of a pressure campaign to get her get her out. They are also, I'm telling you, they are, the, the, the liberal media and the Dems, I am telling you, they're, they're in the back of their minds, they have this idea that this is really all about getting Trump out of the race. Now, Let's go back, and I've we have the clip of Biden talking. I've, I've shared this with you before, but remember, it was about a year ago that Biden at the White House was making some remarks and gets asked about Trump, and he says, "Trust me, by by basically by hook or by crook, we're going to make sure that he does not run for president. He never becomes president of the United States again." And I've you know I'm going to maintain that's part of the idea here of what is what is intended. And I, I remember, what was this, last Thursday when this was all starting to, well, uh, heat up, right? Because this indictment was percolating for a while, but but Thursday we started getting news that, that you know, it's impossibly imminent that Trump be indicted, and it happened the, the next day. And Rachel Maddow went on her show on MSNBC and... She said, you know, you got to wonder, you know, maybe the Justice Department is considering whether there's some political solution to this criminal problem. You know, maybe, right, political solution. Um, you heard that right, political solution to this 
criminal problem. You know, he's committed crimes, he plans to be back in the White House. Why don't we just offer him a plea deal, you know, something that would prescribe him from running for office ever again? I don't know, she said. And I played this for you, and we, we talked about it. In fact, a number of conservative commentators across the country co- commented on it. This was so outrageous. It, it was literally saying the quiet part out loud. And I think Maddow got some you know, blowback from this, so she decided to get all historical on this. Getting all historical. So yesterday, she's back at MSNBC, which incidentally is killing it in the ratings because Fox News knows how to shoot itself in the foot. And uh, she's, t- <laughs> yeah, well, yes, MSNBC is dominating primetime. Who would have thunk? CNN is a dumpster fire. Fox News is in disarray. Well, you know, it's, I realize this is like competing, you know, able-bodied in the Special Olympics, but still, it's, it is what it is. All right, so MSNBC, uh, Rachel Maddow, talking to Joy Reid, my favorite intellectual of the left, about this and, and saying there's precedent for it. You know, what I said last week, there's precedent for it. Spiro Agnew, listen to this. What can he offer prosecutors other than his confession, his cooperation? I mean, this is a crime he could only commit because he was in high public office. Spiro Agnew used that as a jail, as a get out of jail free card. It was not just that he was vice president. It was that prosecutors assumed he was about to become president because Nixon was teetering. They were right. And in order to keep Agnew out, in order tra- they traded him essentially jail time for his resignation. I'm not saying that's what the DOJ should agree to. I'm not saying that's right. what Trump should try for or that what it, his defense should offer it. I'm not even saying it would be good or bad for the country. I'm just saying the one other time we've dealt with this as a country, that's how we did it. Listen to how gleeful they are about this. They're so happy. <laughs> just Sometimes, folks, I have so much fun doing this show. I just love this. I love the two hours that we get together weekdays. This is, this, you can tell she's actually having a physical reaction. I'm not going to get graphic here, but it seems to me that she is absolutely head over heels about this. All right. And Joy Reid, of course, can't, you know, she gets into it too and she goes, she goes, yeah, 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 here's an idea. Here's, here's what we're going to do. For a blanket non-prosecution agreement, if that is yeah. possible, if they could get Fonnie Willis and uh, the DA in, in Manhattan to join a non-prosecution agreement, I mean, Trump says he's I a negotiator. Mean, so this is their, this is, this is their idea of a plan. And, and, and just bear with me here because I've got a greater point to make. But their great idea here on MSNBC, which is now the top-rated cable uh, news channel in the United States, people are actually watching. These are thought leaders for the political left. And they are saying that, I I mean, listen, uh, I don't want to use the word collusion, but they are suggesting that the three prosecutors, the gal in Georgia, Fannie, and and you know and and Bragg in Manhattan in, in New York and 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 Jack Smith in Miami they all get together and say all right let's do it. we will cut him a blanket deal and presto he'll never run again and we're rid of of Trump the menace 
well, Spiro Agnew. This is this is a, a terrible example. But I, I, I'm my my point is if this is not election interference, spelled out word for word, I don't know what is. And remember, it's the people that are yelling about collusion. It's the people that are yelling about conspiratorial acts. It's the people yelling about uh, about election interference who are, you know, continue to berate us about the threats to democracy. They are the most illiberal. They are the most dangerous statist fascists out there. Which brings me to, I think, the most important point, which is this piece, this opinion piece in the New York Post. The New York Post is, I, I, I love the Post, and, and it's from, you know, it's from the editorial board. So this is not just one person. This is the entire editorial board getting together and writing a memo to Republicans. Dear GOP, dodge the Trump trap laid for you by the Dems. And the piece goes on to say, essentially, that we Republicans are, are falling into this uh, seductive, you know, this appealing uh, trap that, that the Democrats want us to be talking about Trump and not focusing on Biden and not focusing on the economy and not focusing on all the things that really matter. Now, I, uh, first off, I don't, I don't let anybody tell me what really matters. I know what matters. I happen to think that the indictment of a former president and leading presidential candidate, an op- the leading opponent of the government in power currently, is a scandal. I think it is the issue of the day. Now, I will agree that we cannot get distracted talking just about Trump. We need to continue keeping our foot on the gas when it comes to the Biden uh, various investigations going on. And I will get to the updates on that here in a moment. But the Republicans are doing that. And the problem is, is that the you know it's republicans are the, the problem is that if 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 in the first few days of this whole story breaking with Biden and Trump roughly at the same time which of course was a shocking coincidence because there is no collusion between the special counsel and the Biden administration okay i'm going to take a deep breath you make you can make your own conclusions on that because there was no collusion it all just happened at once and the media, I, I read the statistics yesterday, it was almost 300 minutes of, of, of coverage, uh, and, and, then, and it was literally zero seconds of coverage uh, of Biden. Trump literally got all the attention of the mainstream media. But, the, but the, the thing that I want to resist here, and I know that the New York Post is not on Team Trump. They want DeSantis or basically anybody else. I, I think at this point the Post would probably, uh, you know— but I don't know. They 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 are they haven't they've they've done a lot of of, of pro DeSantis stuff. So I understand that they have a bias. But this isn't a trap that was laid by the Democrats. The Democrats are not going after Trump to lay a trap on the GOP. That is nonsense, friends. If you believe that, I I I, I let me let me let me tell you why it's nonsense. Precisely because of what you heard here, Rachel Maddow talking about. 
And Rachel Maddow is not an intellectual powerhouse human being, okay? Rachel Maddow is a parrot. She goes to the party. She goes to D.C. and, and, and Manhattan and get, talks to all the, all the leftists and they, 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 they back and forth. And she picks up what they're saying. This, I guarantee you, is – and the fact that you know Joy reads all about it. This is what they're talking about. This is what they want. This is what they're going for. Now, I have to take a break, but because – because this is so important, we're, we are going to keep talking about it. They're not laying a trap. They want to literally take out the leading Republican, the person that they view to be an existential threat to their statist, institutionalized, anti-American, anti-individualist bureaucracy. And that is perhaps the number one issue. I would even argue, and I'm no fan of Biden, I would argue that is a bigger issue than, you know, the, the, the now it's, by the way, that's the news, $25 million or so that, that they accumulated and rising and rising. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT, you're listening to The What's Right Show. Be back in a moment. Sam Rajovsky here, your friend in these troubled times, guiding light, if you will, as we spend a couple hours together every weekday here on News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Now, James Comer, I mentioned this just before the break, a congressman uh, sat down with uh, Maria Bartiromo on Fox Business and uh, declared that uh, now they've got, they, they have the records for about $10 million that was sent to uh, Biden family members, including Joe Biden, from various foreign entities. And they believe that they're going to get between 20 and 30 million based on the evidence that they have seen so far. So last month, as a reminder here, Comer and the team they're working on this released a second records memorandum. And they they got into some of these details. It's interesting, the there's a Romanian influence peddling operation, not just a Ukrainian one. They created, you know, by the way, this was all on the laptop. That was the Pandora's box that opened all of this. Because in the laptop, you had all the emails. And so you had, I mean, you literally had in one of the emails, crackhead uh, Hunter Biden uh, talking about how there were so many entities and so many wires going back and forth, it would take investigators uh, years and years to untangle it. Remember that. There was an admission of a criminal conspiracy to launder money, and not to mention, of course, not paying income taxes on it, because that's a component of this. Remember, remember, remember. There was an IRS whistleblower. I think there were three different whistleblowers that came forward saying that the investigation into Hunter Biden and family was slowed down by the administration. Who's the administration? Well, they're run by Joe Biden, a target or someone who ought to be a target of this investigation. Absolutely criminal. It is obstruction of justice. And again, it brings me back to the point is as Republicans, we ought to be talking about this indictment because it is an incredibly absurd situation to have the pre former president, uh, who is uh, on a campaign that is doing fairly well, one might say, at challenging 
Biden in 2024, the target of an investigation and now a criminal case brought by that administration. At the same time, the administration is led by people who are fundamentally corrupt and whose corruption, it seems, is the case for their uh culpability in this corruption scheme, scheme uh, the case seems to be growing. So there's all these different entities. Owasco PC, which Hunter owned, Hudson West 3 LLC, Robinson Walker, Rosemont Seneca Bohai. They're like throwing words together. They all accepted funds from foreign companies ranging from 5,000 to 3 million. And, and um, you know, I'll tell you this as a lawyer. Not everything is easy to prove, okay? But financial records, financial records, bank records, wire transfers, these are things that are very difficult to monkey with, okay? So you have to, the, the bank transfer even ha, either happened from entity A to entity B or it didn't. And then no matter how many entities you create, no matter how much crack you consume as you're talking to your accountant and your, and your business manager, it's not going to help because eventually you can go from A to B, B to C, C to D, D to E, E to F, and so forth and so on. You're going to follow the money. That's where that expression comes from, obviously. But it's traceable. And all it does is it takes time. It takes people who have an experience in forensic accounting. And, it's, and look, huge cases are built on this. Even in the world of cash and, and briefcases, uh, even the mob was done in ultimately through financial records, right? Al Capone, well, the IRS come after him, killed how many people? Uh, they got him on tax evasion. So this stuff is easy to prove. And Biden can't just laugh it off. He can't just say, oh, you're, oh, this malarkey. I'm an honest man. Yeah, anyone who says he's an honest man is not an honest man. You don't go around saying, I'm an honest man. I'm an honest man. It's usually the least honest charlatan that declares that about himself. And that's one of Biden's favorite comeback lines. Oh, I'm an honest man. The shtick of good old Joe, you know, from Delaware, from Scranton, you know, Scranton, Pennsylvania, traveling on the on the Amtrak train, going to work, you know, the hardworking dad and faithful husband who, you know, by the way, his daughter's writing in her diary about how, you know, showering with dad was a little weird and I turned into a hoe and now I've got mental problems. The minute the diary sees the light of day, in comes the FBI in 2020 to confiscate it. It's just all of this, folks. It's, you start to add it all up, and it is a story. And and the Trump indictment is part of the story. Burisma is part of the story. This Romanian, you know, company giving them money. These these other foreign companies giving them money. It's part of the story. But I think I'm not going to lie. I think that the story. I think it's the same story. I I think it's all interconnected, because the same outrageous, right, outrageous um, willingness to risk everything and, and feeling that they were above the law when they collected money from Burisma when Biden was vice president, that same outrageous disregard for decency 
and feelings of, of invincibility is now is now driving this decision to prosecute Trump. It's all part of the same hubris. It's all part of the same uh, defect that the Bidens have. The problem is the Democrats are perfectly willing to go along with it because Biden rubber stamps, rubber stamps what that deep state wants. And that is why he is able to get away with it. Friends, I'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the What's Right Show brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. See you in a moment. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234 or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. Greetings and welcome back to the program. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here, your host, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. And in that capacity, friends, I feel uh, a little bit like Alan Stock. He, too, is a, well, he's been at it a little longer than me. He uh, wisely came to California uh, earlier than I did. But we're both former Californians. Alan, of course, is the morning host here on uh, the station, uh, 8 to 9, uh, Vegas at 8. He's uh, fabulous. But I'll be on with Alan tomorrow, 8.30. He wants to talk about some crazy California bill we began talking about on Tuesday. We ran out of time. This is the bill that criminalizes, makes it child abuse for parents to refuse their own children's stated desire to go by a different gender. So if, as a parent, you decide to say, no, you know, uh, sorry, kid, I, I think that you need a little love, we need some patience here, but I'm not, you know, you, you're a boy, I'm not going to pretend you're a girl, and I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to talk about this. That's child abuse under this new proposed bill working its way through the California legislature. So one of the things I want to do here as Nevada's favorite recovering Californian is warn you about things that are bad that we do in California, people do in, in New York and all these blue states that we cannot bring over here. And this is why I am still so incensed. And I haven't, funny enough, when did I email this? Was this... Was this uh, SB 163. This is the bill that forces, it'll go into effect in July here in Nevada, it forces uh, health insurance uh, companies to pay for gender reassignment surgery and other related gender-affirming care for minors and adults, but minors in particular in the state of Nevada. And the conditions by which uh, minors' care is afforded, I think, do not does not give enough protection for kids at all. Uh, it is my opinion that this these procedures ought to be banned in their entirety, right? So I reached out to uh, governor's office, uh, my contact there, and I have not heard back. SB 163 signed into law by the governor on Monday, and then lo and behold, on Tuesday, we got word that the $380 million in funding for the stadium, for the baseball stadium, for the Oakland A's to come to the strip was approved in committee, was going out into the Senate, into the Assembly. It seems to have passed both chambers, so it is, and maybe already has been here sometime today, 
uh, signed into law by the governor. So that has happened. Public funding for the A's is occurring. And there were some Democrats that switched their vote after 163 was signed into law by Governor uh, Lombardo. And I cannot help but think, and I've said this before, and if I'm wrong, I want somebody from the governor's office to explain it to me. I want an explanation. But I really hope, I really hope, Governor, you didn't sell out the kids to get a stadium. I would have a problem with that. And I, I want to believe it's not true, but I just, you know, you know me. I'm going to, folks, I'm always going to tell you the truth. I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, even if I'm wrong, even if I'm wrong about somebody, even if I'm disappointed, and I'll tell you why this is different to me. Conservatives here in town, Victor Jakes, for example, are conflating some of the issues here. He, what did, what did, what did they write? They're, they're writing things like, well, instead of getting school choice, Governor Lombardo gave us, uh, child uh, gender uh, dysphoria treatment. Okay. I want to I make something very clear. I understand why it is a challenge for Lombardo to get school choice. I understand that a Democrat legislature, a Democrat assembly, and a Democratic Senate, state Senate, is not going to sign that bill into law. It takes a lot of horse trading to make that happen. So I get that. But here's an example of where Lombardo could have and ought to have on principle said no. And then let the chips fall. If people want a stadium and 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 you know they, they want to bring a team here and want to have a team here, have them have 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 the Democrats vote no on it and and fight them for it. Or better idea, present a better deal, because this is not a great deal. When you get under the hood of this. The team ownership, the guys that own the A's, uh, by all accounts, are not really fabulous business people or great operators. They're not going to make great stakeholders here. I hope I'm wrong, but from what I've read, what I've heard, talking to people in the know, uh, these are not people that are well-regarded. These are not Bill Foley's, okay? So consequently, this, this is a deal, and, and Lombardo needed a win. I understand that too. But as conservatives, as people, as human beings, this process of of treating confused, damaged kids by lopping off their body parts, by giving them drugs that will likely, in most cases, make them sterile, is awful. There was another, yet another piece here. Who who wrote this? Um, Stephanie Wynn. Uh, I think this was a Substack uh, article. Talks about a lady named Stephanie Wynn, a licensed marriage and family therapist in Oregon. And she realized something didn't feel quite right about immediately affirming gender dysphoric kids. Now, this goes to the California law, and it also, gosh dang it, this goes to what we're doing here in Nevada Quote, and by the way, this is a, a, a therapist in Oregon, okay? So, as soon as I began learning about detransitioners, these are people who transitioned, uh, usually this is as kids, right? But also vulnerable adults transitioned and, and then regret it and then, then want to transition back to their birth gender. 
Soon as I began learning about these transitioners, writes Stephanie Wynn, I realized that our field was responsible for great harm by buying into this idea that affirming a person's gender identity rather than exploring how they came to that conclusion about themselves, that we're actually doing irrevocable harm to people. She talks about how she reached out to detransitioner community, learning everything she could. This is somebody who participated in the process. She wrote, I didn't see my patients getting better. And I think, can think about the reservations I had. I felt guilty. I would see a young person identifying as transgender and think, is it really that? Or is it that you're some, maybe that you're autistic or maybe you're gay or maybe you're going, you went through social, you know, horrifying sexual trauma, right? These are people, these are kids that are oftentimes abuse victims. We have, what is it? The, the adult brain isn't formed until 25. Uh, the male brain, uh, I'm convinced, isn't formed until 40, okay? And I say this as a guy. And all you ladies out there, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? So 18 is an even 18 for me of making a decision like this. That's a, that's a legal number that society has agreed on. Um, you know, I think I think is you know has um, has agreed on that. It's that's 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 where you're you're held accountable. You can be held to account for a capital crime. You you can, you know, you 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 can take on debt. You you're you're able to make decisions according to the state. So for me, it's the 18 number, and it's it's appalling to me that this. In, and by the way, across the country, even in England, even in socialist Great Britain, right. They've closed the one and only pediatric gender clinic because they realized that they were running these kids through and, and chopping them up for, for and, and making, you know, rushing them through the process and they're were, they were causing harm. The whole clinic shuttered. So we're always a little bit behind here in Nevada. We're a little sleepy. And this, this issue, uh, you know, I, I think the rest of the country is waking up to it. California is going its radical direction. And, and we really here in Nevada ought to protect the kids. So I'm, I'm curious if any, any of you here has information that contradicts my suspicions, please let me know. Because I am, I am perfectly willing to give Gov Governor Lombardo the benefit of the doubt. But this is absolutely sickening. If it is what I suspect. All right, taking a quick break. Sam Rajovsky here. You're listening to the What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, because you deserve what's right. Oh lordy, <laughs> let me tell you, this um, uh, this took an interesting twist. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show. The White House had its pride party. And there was a transsexual uh, person who uh, showed off some 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 breasts that apparently were, well, were you know these were surgical bolt-ons. Now, what the, she had seen the president a moment before, okay, and had had taken a selfie with him and and whatnot, and then went out on the White House lawn with with the White House in the background and and, and showed off her breasts. We talked about this already. I'm not going to, we're not going to relitigate that. There was an incredible 
an incredible exchange on CNN because even the Biden White House came out and said, this is not appropriate. And you would think that the fanatics would leave it there. Yes, it's not appropriate. Doesn't matter if you're trans. Doesn't matter if those if those boobies, you know, you were came with them, they natural or not. Don't pull them out of the White House, right? Keep your shirt on. <laughs> I can't even believe the kind of things we have to talk about now. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 actually sad. So anyway, all right, so here's what happened. CNN gets start talking about it. Allison Camerata uh, asks her panel and uh, Jay McHaleson uh, and uh, Jessica Washington. Uh, Jay is from Rolling Stone um, and Jessica is from The Root. So Allison asks uh, the question, is it inappropriate to show your boobs at the White House? Now, this is where we are as a country. Uh, this is what the Rolling Stone guy uh, responded with. Okay, does anybody here think it's not inappropriate to take off your shirt at the White House. I mean, do we all agree with the White House's stance on this or no? So I'm going to go out on the limb that you expect me to go out on and, <laughs> and, uh, and say yes, but. Uh, so this clearly was inappropriate. The White House is correct. However, uh, we need to understand what this act was. For trans people, trans women, and trans men to be proud and comfortable in their bodies is an act of joy. It's an act of pride and an act of celebration. Imagine experiencing gender dysphoria and imagining finally feeling comfortable enough to show your body in this way to, to the world, to, to your video, to your followers on Instagram. This is an extremely profound and powerful moment. Again, inappropriate, but it's not girls gone wild on Miami Beach. Uh, this was a moment of, of pride. Well, can I... Can I just interject here for a moment, if I may, Jay? How is this not Girls Gone Wild on Miami Beach? Because, well, if you if the 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 sex lib movement, right, the women's lib movement said it's 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 the human body, it's natural. Like, like you know, if you feel empowered to to take your shirt off as a girl and 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 show it off to the world, it's it's a okay. I would argue that doing that on a beach in Miami is actually a lot more appropriate than doing it on the White House lawn. No? And what am I missing here? I, I, I by the way, I'm, I, let me, another disclosure here. I, I, I'm from, you know, my parents are from Europe. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a European thinking in a lot of ways when it comes to prudishness, right? I, I'm not a prude. Um, and I think we as Americans maybe take that a little too far, but this, but the, okay, but but what has pride become? See, pride has become a normalization of really gross stuff that is done in plain view of children that in any other context would be criminal conduct, right? Would be lewd conduct. There are people that have been arrested, have been charged and convicted of exposing themselves, have ended up on you know, yeah, Megan's Law websites because they go in and, and in, an, in an inappropriate place decide to take a leak. A guy, you know, whips it out and decides to take a leak and it's, it's, it's public indecency. But no, pride happens and everything's okay. Now, it went from bad to worse here. And I'm giving you this as an example of this is their thinking. This is what the left makes of all this. So the gal on the panel, 
The Root uh, uh, magazine, Jessica Washington, says this. I think one thing that concerns me is this idea that people who are oppressed have to be perfect 24-7. Every uh, member of that group has to be perfect or uh, we're going to be completely sidetracked and we can't uh, fight for the things that you're talking about. The fact that there is, you know, all-out war on just the existence of trans kids, trans adults, and the fact that we're so easily able to, you know, loop this all into one conversation is really troubling. It's this kind of respectability politics that every oppressed and marginalized group has had to deal with. Okay. Let's unpackage this. By the way, this is the same thinking that justifies when BLM protesters in the summer of George go out and burn entire neighborhoods to the ground. It concerns me that people who are oppressed have to be perfect 24-7. That's not what this is, be perfect 24-7. It's, uh, that's not what this is. And the dangerous thing here is creating two set of rules based on your, uh, well, I'd say your attractiveness to the liberal establishment. So if you have a place, a, a, a find a, a, a perch on the victim totem and it's high up enough, you get a pass when others who are lower on that totem or not even on the totem at all don't. Rules for thee, but not for me. I remember, and it, by the way, it's become all much more complicated. I remember, I'll give you this example. Well, I used to argue that it was absurd, speaking of the guy that goes out and relieves himself and gets charged with public indecency. I, you know, do you know how many men have taken a leak in public in cities and gotten tickets at the very least? Do you know how Normal occurrence, right? It, it happens. You're probably thinking, where's Sam going with this? Okay, I'll tell you. And then it started under Mayor de Blasio that homeless people would defecate in the middle of traffic on Park Avenue. And the cops weren't allowed to touch them because they're homeless and you can't persecute the homeless or the unhoused. They're not the unhoused. They're, they're, they're mad pooping in the middle of the sidewalk. Get a ticket. Make that a fine. Make their life miserable so they don't poop in the middle of the sidewalks. The whole point of laws is that people, there are things that we don't want to have happen in society. And that's one – That's this is another reason why this issue is so important because they want to create two sets of rules. There's rules for what a homeless person can get away with, and there's a person then, – then, then the Wall Street guy who's coming home out late at night and had too many beers and, and needs to relieve himself, he gets, he gets the ticket. Well, then you have, of course, you've got the tr- – I mean, if, if, a, if a hot influencer chick uh, took her shirt off uh, at the White House, these, the, these people on CNN would be making no uh, defense of her. They'd say she's not oppressed. She has to be perfect. That's the that's the other side. Okay. It concerns me the idea that people who are oppressed have to be perfect 24-7. Perfection isn't the standard. Lawful conduct is. Yes, public, you know, exposure and indecency laws are on the books. I'm pretty sure they're on the books in DC. Although, you know, they're they're I've I've read somewhere that 
maybe in D.C., you, you know, a woman can go topless, so, you know, fine. But, it, it, but, but you get my point. It's a larger point here to be made. And, of course, the two sets of rules then also exist for Republicans and Democrats. See how this all loops in together? So what Joe Biden is able to get away with is fine because he's he's accepted. He's on the political totem of acceptability. He's high up. He has currency with the political establishment and the permanent political bureaucracy. And someone who does not have legitimacy with them like Donald Trump, well, he gets the full weight of the law come down on him, right? The, the, this, the, the, we, we've got to get back to one set of rules. doesn't matter if you're trans or straight, Republican or Democrat, the same rules and the same standards apply, period. You don't get an excuse because you're politically acceptable or because you're, you're an oppressed minority, okay? That's the word, and that is common sense. Sam Marjofsky here. I'll be back tomorrow. Have a great day.